of time. I started to nod, but he was already tapping the wheel in a caffeinated sort of way. He switched on the radio and found a hiss of static. The truth is, Nathan, time is fluid. Do you hear that static? Yeah? Ten percent of it is due to residual microwaves from the Big Bang. It's all still happening from that one singularity. Now he shook his head, a little incredulous. That my father didn't know how to speak to children was widely known in our Wisconsin hometown. I once found him on our front lawn deep into a rant with the paperboy about parabolic motion. Although my father was an atheist, this trip was a pilgrimage for him. We were driving through the night to see something that would last less than a top forty song. But I was also undergoing a test. My father believed that greatness began with a purifying moment, an awakening. He told me that Einstein, as a convalescing boy, was given a compass, and this forever changed his view of the world. It made him want to know the hidden mechanics of the universe. My father had been searching for good omens and epiphanies for a while now, a cosmic champagne bottle to smash over the prow of my youth. At eight o'clock in the morning, we parked the Oldsmobile on a plowed blacktop and waited for the spectacle. We watched the moon drift toward the rising sun. Vast snowfields, scattered with box elders and limestone boulders, extended before us. There were pockets of bluish shadow spread across the snow, a few brain-shaped clouds plodded north toward the Arctic, but otherwise the day was clear. We stayed inside the car with the engine running, trying to keep warm. The heater breathed noisily through the dash, filling the air with a mechanical stutter. My father pulled back his shirt sleeve and looked at his watch. I could see his spindly wrist and the bald patch he'd scratched on his arm. Almost showtime, he said. What he meant by that was an hour of sitting in the cold car, watching the moon inch-crawl toward the sun. We hadn't eaten since Minnesota, and I would have, in those sixty minutes, traded a total solar eclipse for as little as three Fig Newtons. Finally, the moon arced into the solar halo, and a small bite appeared at the western edge of the sun. My father retrieved our safety glasses from the glove compartment, and we put them on. The light began to change, the deep blue shadows on the snowfields blurred and lightened. Narrow bands of light shifted through the bare maple crowns. Everything dappled. The shifting light is caused by the sun shining across jagged lunar valleys, my father said. I wish we hadn't forgot the hot chocolate, I said. He reached for his door. I said, can I stay in here and watch things? because I think I can see better if the wind isn't in my eyes. He looked at me, o-mouthed and appalled. With his oversized safety glasses, he was a parody of a blind man. Watch things? This isn't fireworks in somebody's backyard. This is celestial. This is very big. A big celestial moment. Now exit the vehicle. He turned and opened his car door, stepped out onto the road and began wandering in the direction of the eclipse. I followed his tall, gangly figure, and we began hauling across the fields. Snow skirted his knees and my thighs. The air was damp and cut with pine sap. It looks like 
incinerating glass, my father said as he slowed, his head craned upward. I had no idea what incinerating glass might look like, but I imagined it was very bright. Through the safety glasses, everything seemed a little flat and brown. We stood perfectly still. A tiny sliver of light remained, a sunburst cresting from behind the dark disk of the moon. We watched it blink, then disappear. Darkness flooded everything. A row of pine trees became an inky, amorphous silhouette. I could hear the deep, slow metronome of my father's breathing. He had the stilled countenance of a man in prayer. When the moon fully blocked the sun, the darkness seemed something between dusk and night. My hands were jammed into my pockets and my breath smoked in front of me.